the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 39 until chapter 12 verse 2 and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect therefore since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. A pleasant good morning. Jesus perfecter of our faith based on Hebrews chapter 11 verses 39 until chapter 12 verse 2. Now going back from chapter 1 so that we have an overview of the whole book before we discuss this latter part of chapter 11 and the earlier part of chapter 12 we know that the author reminded the recipients of who Christ is. He mentioned that Christ is God. He is the fulfillment of the prophets. He is better than Moses. His priesthood is forever, and he is the perfect sacrifice. The author intended to encourage the believers to continue in the faith despite suffering, persecution, and discrimination. The author also warned that it was a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Therefore, they should persevere in faith. The epistle to the Hebrews would be the most Christ-centered epistle of the New Testament. It is where the theme of who Christ is was repeated again and again and again in different angles from the Old Testament. It was written to Jewish believers probably in the mid-80s, 60s, definitely before the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in AD 70, in which case many were being recruited back to Judaism, their old religion. And take note that Judaism at that time was so padded and has metamorphosed into something else that Moses started. There were many more commentaries. In fact, the Pharisees were memorizing a lot of the commentaries and, um, and uh, they're very intelligent about it. They're well-trained. However, the text, the real text of Scripture is sometimes uh, neglected. And uh, one of the things that Christ did was to point them back to the law and uh, rebuke their added excesses to the law. Now, the author was reminding them when that it is by faith. We know who Christ is, and it is by faith. And after reviewing who Christ and after warning them several times 
And the warnings were terrifying, by the way. If you go back, especially chapter 10, how it is terrifying, and he's not done there yet. He will still mention that God is a consuming fire. And um, therefore, they should be warned. So the author was encouraging them about who Christ is and, and how the people of old persevered through faith. So there was the encouragement, but there was also the warning. Don't ever. He is a just God. He didn't say those words exactly, but by mentioning how terrifying Christ, God is, if you reject Christ, he was in effect saying those things. Then he comes to the end, and verse 39 is sort of a conclusion of chapter 11, uh, affirming the first part of verse 2, that these, those who gained approval uh, through faith, and saying that these gained approval uh, through faith, and then he will be moving, as that's verse 39 is, is the bridge going to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. I mean verses 39 and 40. The first point I'd like to establish is these Old Testament saints or heroes of the faith, as we might loosely call them, um, they were incomplete without us. Incomplete without us. The author mentioned that the Old Testament people of faith were commendable, but God provided something better for those in Christ. Let me say that again. They were commendable, but we have, hey Jewish believers, we have something better than them. First, it's not by the works of the law, it was through faith that they gained approval from God. Their obedience is just an output of their faith. It didn't say they were so religious that God approved of, approved of them. It said they had faith in God. They have had faith in the Word of God. They obeyed God. They endured suffering. They did mighty exploits for God because they had faith in God. However, he's saying, hey, but we have something better than what they have. And may I remind you of the covenant promises that the author mentioned much earlier, that in Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. You don't have to every year sacrifice uh, an animal. No need to go through that ceremonial ritual because Christ did it once and for all time, what do you need to do? Have faith in the Lord. And in other parts of scriptures, it says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Another is that they will know me, each one of them. So the knowledge of God was no longer exclusive for a few people like the kings of old and the prophets. If you would read in the Old Testament, you would see that God would speak to this person alone for, so that he can deliver the message to all of Israel. He said, there will come a time that they will know me. And the reformers like Luther, Swingley, and Calvin supported that from, 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 from once upon a time, and this is true, please research your history 
that the Pope did not allow people to read the Bible because only a few can know God's will. Only a few have the right to interpret Scripture. And that was one of the battle cries of the Reformers that, hey, we can all study Scripture if we study it properly. Of course, not many study it properly. They try to use it to manipulate people instead of studying the context. And that's why I say to us, we are not just students of Scripture. We are contextual students of Scripture. We take the meaning, not separating the verses from one another, because before there were no numbers anyway. They were letters, real letters. If today it's like a long email being sent to you, you cannot divide it up and create separate doctrines from it. It's a letter. These were works. The epistles were letters. Other things like um, we have here uh, works of literature like Job and Psalms are songs, poetic songs. We have Proverbs like wise sayings and we should interpret it as such. There were the narratives and we have to interpret it as narratives gaining lessons from it and being confirmed where there is law or there is epistle. We are contextual students. So everyone can know Christ. And, and the third, third covenant promise when God said that I will write the, he, the book of Hebrews or the author of Hebrews quoting Jeremiah, I will write my laws in your mind and heart. Ezekiel has his own version of the covenant promise, which is, I will give you a new heart, a new heart, and I will replace your heart of stone, a new heart, and that is the miracle of salvation. God gives a new heart, while once upon a time, you don't care about the things of God, you have no desire to obey God, what you just desire is to to go with what culture dictates to you. What do I mean? Peer pressure is, is a form of culture. Because your friends do this, you have to do this. Because you saw it in social media, therefore it is. You go for trends, but not caring about whether you have faith or you obey the word of God. But one of the covenant promises is, I will give you a new heart. And one of the things, if I were going to teach today a topic called true and false Christianity or true and false salvation, one of which identifier that others will not identify, but only you can deep within you, is do you have that heart for God? It's not a heart that was developed just by self-discipline. No, it was a gift from God. It trans it's a transforming thing. My concern with parents who are already believers and their children is that your children might just be going through the motions of Christianity. They go with you to church, they go home, you see them read the Bible, but it's not within them. And this is not an emotional thing. This is a supernatural thing. Now, going back, uh, these covenant promises, you see, the Old Testament heroes looked forward to these things, but they never had them. No, none of them can claim that 
that this new heart was already given to me. They did have faith. None of them can claim about every one of us somehow has a deep, this personal relationship with God that was not just a shaped in you by just so many songs and you being emotional, but there's really a desire. There's really faith in the Word of God and faith to do the Word of God. They were not complete without Christ and His people, incomplete without us. Thus, the recipients of the epistle, hey, Jewish believers, stand firm. That's what the author was saying during that time. We have something better. These were amazing, commendable. They deserve our applause. They deserve our awe. Awe, amazing. We should be in awe of what these people have done, but hey, we must be in awe much more with our God. Our God is an awesome God. Terrifying yet amazing. Why? Because they are incomplete without us. Let's read verse 39 and verse 40. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Another word for perfect is complete. It's not sinless perfection. It's completeness. They would not be complete because the grand plan of God, why did he choose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why was Israel uh, birthed as a nation? Why did God choose Israel? The clues are all over the Old Testament. And Christ said, you would find me in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, in the law, in the prophets. I'm paraphrasing, of course. You'd find that in Luke 24, the signs that Christ will come through this nation. They were chosen for the divine purpose that Christ would be born there. And that the shadows of Christ, I mean the foreshadowing, would be seen all over the Old Testament in preparation for His coming. And after Christ would be born and He would suffer and die and resurrect again, and the mystery and it's stated in Ephesians, the mystery, this mystery that is now revealed is this, that it's not only the Jewish people who would be saved, but also the Gentile. In the end, the mystery was the church composed of Gentiles and Jewish believers together. And we should appreciate that. Why? Well, if we were not included, we could not be saved. But God planned that we would be included there. In fact, there are more Gentile believers than there are Jewish believers now. They would not be complete without us. The maturity, the completion of God's plan is that. And uh, I really appreciate that a lot of you love theology. You love studying with us, studying these things with us. Why? Because if you don't know that, if all you think is, what can I apply in my life so I would succeed? Well, that is not Christianity. You're in the wrong place. You can attend my seminars on that, but that's not necessarily Christianity if you want self-help or business ideas. Christianity is something much, much more. And we have to understand these things 
to know our place in God's plan and timetable. The people of faith in the old saw a glimpse of the promises of Christ, but they never experienced it. Therefore, the author concluded that the believers in Christ have something better, Christ himself, and all promised through him. Every believer must appreciate this privilege. I received several confessions from you, and I don't mean confession like I have to forgive you. None of that meaning are sharing. Some of you confess in your sharing through informal gatherings that uh, mentioning that uh, you, you think you were not a true believer before, be even though you've been in church for a long time. You thought you were because you prayed a magical sinner's prayer, which you will not find in the New Testament. What is clear that Jesus said, proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and then you were sharing, you realize that no, it's, but there was a time that something happened within you. That was the time. Because genuine faith leads to that covenant promise, and that is a change of heart. And it's not just being so emotional about it and then, and then trying to commit, but without faith, genuine faith, it's nothing. How many had had a genuine experience, even near death, and they become so emotional, then after that they are gone. For a while they would say, I will commit. But the pleasures of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the worries of the world, the desire for other things come in, choke the word, and nothing happens. They're incomplete without us. So, my brothers and sisters, we are a blessed generation. And Peter mentioned this about the coming generation, which is a chosen generation, a, a holy priesthood, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And uh, we are blessed as, as Israel was, but the fulfillment came upon us even though we were not Israelites. Because in God's plan, the Gentiles were included in salvation in Christ. The next point I'd like to make is run the race well. The author encouraged the letter recipients to endure the race by laying aside every sin that weighed them down. That's in verse 1. Now, now, he suddenly shifts and, and gives uh, uh, an analogy of the race. And, uh, and uh, Greece has made, it, made the Olympics popular. Of course, it was revived in, in the, I think, uh, I think the 1900s, early 1900s, that they revived the Olympics once again. But then uh, they would compete. And, you know, when I would... Uh, look at the pictures of these competitors and much of their artwork, you would see that these runners were actually naked because only men could attend uh, as participants. The women were not allowed, but why would they be naked? Because they have to remove every tiny weight when running. And even today, we, we, no, nobody runs naked today in a race, They'll be arrested if they do. But how come they wear light material, so light? Uh, shorts, very short, and then very light so that they can run properly. Mar marathoners know that. The runners know that, that uh, it's important what you wear. And sometimes these organizers provide it. Uh, it includes in your, included in your payment. And I don't recall anybody giving cotton 
because cotton, when you sweat, weighs you down. It gets heavy. Uh, suddenly, there's a shift. Now, now le let's read verse 1 right now. Um, Therefore, since we also have such a great, a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And... Uh, Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, in that first part, since there is a great cloud of witnesses, some have interpreted this, and I'm not inclined to believe it, but, but uh, they may have a point, but some have interpreted it as the, that the past saints from the beginning of time until today are watching us from heaven as we run this race on earth. Uh, that is a possibility, although... Some would say that it is more exact in the context that because there were this cloud of witnesses are those who have come before us. Because so many have come before us. Some are saying this is more like they're reflecting like a relay race. Like as you're running, so many have come before us, the baton keeps getting passed in every generation. And now we have the baton and you know the relay race, you do, no one person finishes the race. One person reaches another person. This person will have to run to the next person. And this person will until they, they finish. And some give, has given the, this, the, the, it's not really more of a stadium where many are watching us, but rather a relay race. So many have come before us. Therefore, let us continue running. Let us endure. There were many before us. And this is, again, an encouragement we're part of a race. And then the instruction, let us l also lay aside what every sin that entangles. Well, let's set aside every weight or, or every obstacle or weight and the sin that easily entangles. Now, what does that mean? Well, in their case was their fear of being discriminated. That's a sin that easily entangled them. It's a fear of persecution. It's probably doubt because the rabbis were, were challenging the doctrines of Christianity as well. And uh, the sin that easily entangles, remove every weight. Your desire for material things if persecuted, if it's taken away from you, will you still serve the Lord? Every encumbrance. Now, look, the heroes of old looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They longed for what we have. Therefore, we have to treasure what we have. As they ran the race, we have to continue running the race. As the early church in the New Testament did that, we have to continue. So I encourage you, run the race well. The author proved that many came before them who lived by faith. Because of the many who pleased God through faith, therefore they... The readers of the letter should run the race with endurance. To run the race effectively, each must lay aside any sin which entangles and uh, 
slows us down. We'll discuss this more on the application side, the sin, sins that may entangle us in the present. As mentioned in the last sermon, those who live by faith experience two things, either or both. One is mighty adventurous exploits in Christ. They built something, they, they conquered their armies, they built an ark, they conquered Jericho, and then there's that part that they survived, they endured, and some died enduring. What do I mean by enduring? They, they believed and, and, and they died, so there are two things. However, I'd like to point out that in our generation today, in our context here in the Philippines, there is not much persecution against us. We were not sawn into. Wala tayong nabalitaan dahil sa kanilang pananampalataya sa Pilipinas, linagari ng dalawa. May nabalitaan na ba kayo? We, we haven't heard that. Maybe in some countries that is close to the gospel where they persecute believers, atrocious things are happening. Many in India were persecuted and, and physically harmed and killed because of their faith. In China as well, parts of the Middle East, all around the world. But here in our context, there's not much suffering. So I, I like to encourage you. Tagalogin ko, wag tayong sobrang arte. Kaalam mo malaking pagsubok na. Hindi ka pa binabalatan ng buhay eh. Ano, minsan arte lang talaga. Of course, we will listen and we will pray with you. But don't think it's the biggest problem in the world. Were you orphaned with no one else? When your parents and your siblings were killed and you're the only one who survived because of your faith? Has that ever happened to you? What we have here is not the worst. And because we don't have these mighty problems, therefore, I encourage you, let's do mighty exploits for God. Next, eyes on Christ. And I love this verse. Let's read verse 2. Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith. In other translations, the founder and completer, or some translation, the author and finisher. Uh, amazing. Who for the joy set before him. Then he moves to look at his example. We have to look at Jesus, lay aside every sin that entangles and the weight. Let's lay it aside. Let's run the race with endurance. And then what? Look at Jesus. Okay, my picture is perhaps Jesus is, we look at him in the finish line. Uh, who is he? He started faith in you. He will complete it. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So he's the prime example. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he now sits at the highest authority. Not that he did not have it, it was returned to him. But now representing man as well, because he was 100% God and 100% man, and he represented man as a sacrifice for sin. The way to endure and lay aside all sin, part of what we do is 
fixing our eyes. Because if you try to battle against sin without your eyes fully fixed on Christ, if you don't know Christ, that's why from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 10, what was the discussion? Who Christ is. We have to know who Christ is. Because if you only know a Jesus who just died on the cross literally without understanding the meaning behind that, that when he did it, he did it as the perfect sacrifice and as a perfect high priest in heaven as well. If we don't understand that, that God himself called him God as well, that's why we believe in the Trinity. One God, three persons. The Father is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not Jesus, and Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. Attend my class on doctrines, I will discuss that. If we understand, therefore, we can look at Him because we understand who He is. Some people know a Jesus only who who was introduced to them by their Sunday school teacher and they did not always do a good job calling him Papa Jesus. When you have a problem, just call to him. It's correct but incomplete. In fact, the Bible said, pray our Father. Jesus said, pray to the Father. So we pray to the Father in his name. Fixing your eyes on Christ alone. Christ is the author and perfecter of faith, originator and perfecter. So who started faith in you? Now there's an ongoing debate. Some people believe that it is man who started, who chose God. Man may think that, but I, I think scripture is, there's a more dominant theme in scripture that God shows mercy on whom he wants to show mercy. And Ephesians 1, 4 said that he has chosen us from the foundation of the world. And many try to spin this off, still giving a lot of credit to man because they say because God saw through the, through the portals of time that uh, who would commit to him, therefore he chose them. And that's stretching it too much. It's just stretching it too much. If I were to choose between man choosing God and God choosing man, I don't think we're powerful enough to do that. It is God. Fixing our eyes on who? The one who started faith within us and he will complete it. Now, an amazing thing here, you see all over scripture. Scripture tells you what to do, but then explains to you, but actually it is him who is perfecting you. So it's not really you. Amazing, right? So if one is truly chosen by God and he, have the, he has the, or she has the covenant promises, that person may not be perfect, but the heart to do, to follow him is there, and that, it be, that is because God put it in there. But if there's no desire at all, then I, I, I think you're a fake believer. What do you do? Well, repent of your sins. Humble yourself before God. It's better than playing church. You know what playing church is? You just keep here pretending you're a believer. Now, 
uh, it's settled in private between you and the Father. We humble ourselves. We have to understand how wretched fools we are. We are sinners. We are sinners. But if you approach God, Lord, I'm not that bad. I have some good works. You do not understand scripture if you come to God that way. <laughs> you know how, well, there, in the academia, there's a, there's a theory, I believe it's called Dunning-Kruger, where incompetent people feel they're competent. Why incompetent people feel they deserve better? And that's an actual theory. It's a cognitive bias. That you being incompetent always says, I think I deserve more. You, you think you deserve more great when you actually did nothing. And sometimes we think we did a good job when in fact you were incompetent at it. It's just amazing. I see this everywhere. I've, I've been in organizations. I've been a consultant of organizations. And I see this everywhere, including the church, by the way. Whereas in scripture, they who humble themselves are those who are exalted. People say too much of what I deserve, I deserve more. But in Christ, you have to understand that we deserve nothing. And that is the reason. You have understood it. It's only him. It's only by grace. That's why I think it was R.C. Sproul who said, those who are in hell deserve it. And those who are in heaven do not deserve it. Fixing our eyes on who? On Christ. Who is he? He was mentioned many things <laughs> as shadowed in the Old Testament. Now the author is saying a new title of Christ, a new function of Christ the starter and the finisher, the originator and the one who will complete it, the perfecter, who will perfect your faith. Although you are told, lay aside every sin, lay aside every weight, run the race with endurance, but who is actually doing it as we keep our eyes on him? It is him who perfects faith in us. And who is the prime example? Christ himself. He endured the cross, despised the shame, but now seated at the right hand of God. Thus, the author was saying to the Jewish believers, they should fix their minds on Christ alone, the sovereign one. Through the suffering, set your mind on him alone. Because through the suffering after this, there is a blessing for eternity. Christ is the author and perfecter of faith. Do not forget that. Author, perfecter. Another phrase, originator and what? Uh, perfecter, a finisher, starter and finisher. Faith began with him and he will mature the perfect faith in the believers. He will mature the perfect faith within us. The author instructed the believers to focus on Christ Jesus. And the highlight was whom? The greatest example were not who? were not the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. Yes, they were, they inspire us, but who is the prime example? Christ himself, the prime example of endurance. Application number one, remember the finished work of Christ. 
the Old Testament heroes of faith look forward to the coming of Christ, but now we look back to what Christ did on the cross. We look back. By grace through faith we are saved, not of the works of the law, not through our merit, but faith in Christ alone. And that is our theme for this year. Faith alone, sola fide. Therefore, we always look back to the cross. What is the cross? It is where God satisfied His justice. What is the cross? That is where God satisfied His justice because there was one worthy to receive the justice. God found a way, a legal way, to forgive us. As a just God, He should sentence us all for eternity, for an eternity of suffering. That is the justice of God. And all humanity should be there. But by His grace, He found a legal way to forgive us. The perfect sacrifice, the only one worthy. And that is where He could also legally forgive our sin in Christ. God poured His justice. And if you don't appreciate this, I don't think you're a true believer. You see, the message of the cross pricks the heart every time. Huh? Unless you come, come home and you kneel down and say, thank you, thank you. You don't understand it. Huh. You come here and, and seeing what? Jesus is a figure in history. Uh, there was one they called Savior. I was taught that since I was a kid. Yeah, but never hit you hard because God never wrote it there. I say to you, you come before him. You come humbly before him and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for that. You think this is just a religion for the sake of forming an organization? That's crazy. And that's the foolishness of the popes when they think they could, they could create armies to conquer the world so others would believe in Christ. Of course, that's an imperfect, totally wrong way of spreading the gospel. If you don't know your history, study and learn. What did they do? And I'm glad some of you know it. Some of you mentioned about the crusaders in some of our growth groups. Yep. But how do we look at that? God is sovereign. He allowed it to happen. But that is not the way. It is in faith alone. God poured his justice through Christ. God showed mercy to all who repent and believe. And next, lay aside sin. By faith, let us set aside every sin that slows us down. We should run the race with endurance. Let the heroes of the faith inspire us, both in the Old and New Testaments, but most of all, may our faith be anchored on the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. Huwag niyong pagsasawaan yan. Let us never get fed up with hearing the suffering, death, and resurrection. Because forever, we are grateful for that. Now, I have a question for us. What sins easily entangle us? Is it anger or impatience or gossip? That can slow us down. So what we do, well, that's why many say that repentance is a lifestyle of a believer because we pursue holiness because he put holiness in our hearts. 
Yet he allowed us still to experience the imperfection of humanity and it keeps us humble and we need that. We lay it aside how spiritual, it's spiritual, it's by the word of God as we keep meditating on the word of God, as we come to prayer, as we wrestle against these sins in the place of prayer, as we worship and as we celebrate our victory in Christ, you'll find yourself changing by God's grace. Some instantly, some things instantly, some things slowly, but we never give up. We will endure. Is it the lust of the eyes or the flesh or the pride of life? Let us fix our eyes on who? On Christ himself. Do you doubt God's word? Well, that's the sin that really the writer of Hebrews addressed in the book, doubting Christ or losing faith in Christ. And if you look at the, I believe it's Hebrews 4, when they did not believe, they provoked God to anger. They provoked God to anger. Is it worry? Is it anxiety? Do we always have to worry about every little thing? Is it anxiety when we hear of a problem? Do we calm ourselves? Lord, you are in control. Or do we freak out? Other sins that entangle, are you lazy or apathetic? Lazy. You can't even read your Bible. You're so lazy. Never give me that reason. I'm not really a reader. I'm a doer. Oh, my he who ha does not read is no different from a person who cannot read. You have to time to do many things and you don't sit down and read one chapter to two chapters a day. That only takes 15 minutes a day. So don't, don't give me those excuses. I'm so busy. Really? Really, you don't have 15 minutes a day. Oh, I'm talking to the wrong person. It's not in your heart. Well, maybe you're fake. And some would try to justify this because they did not preach repentance in salvation in gospel presentation. Some will justify it as what? Oh, he's a carnal Christian. Another false doctrine. Yes, there are babes in Christ. But don't say a person who has not repented. <laughs> anyway, we'll discuss that again on doctrines. Do you fear tomorrow? Do you fear what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you fear this pandemic? No, I'm not saying be irresponsible. Let's be responsible. But we trust in God's will. Now, do you make excuses in not serving the Lord? There's so many ways. You just ask, how can I help? As my brother was sharing a while ago, I mean, uh, how do we fellowship? It's in the growth groups. The bigger we become, it's harder to fellowship with one another. Therefore, we, we develop these growth groups. And then we could have fellowship with other growth groups as well. But then we say, we're too busy, but you're not busy watching Netflix and telenovelas. You're not busy 
But you know, one of the things that really entangles one thing aside from doubt, self-righteousness. You know what is self-righteousness? I'm better than you. You read scripture and everybody should do this. Why are you not doing this? You should be doing this, huh? And, and, but you don't. That's why when, when in counseling, I don't do as much today as I used to. And a, a spouse will come, one of the spouses will come and narrate to me the problems and mistakes of his or her spouse. And I'm waiting and waiting for him or her to share, but this is my problem. This is my mistake. I don't hear it sometimes. It's not there. That is self-righteousness. And it destroys so many marriages. Instead of approaching one another, I will improve in this. And then the other is saying, and I will improve in this so I, we can treat each other better. It has the, the opposite, the self-righteous. And that doesn't work in church either. You don't say, look, I'm doing this, therefore you should do it. No, what do we do? Let's study scripture together and let's do it together and let's learn it together, okay? I can learn from you, you can learn from me. We will teach one another scripture as we study it carefully. But there is no, you see, the problem with you guys is this. No, the problem with us is this. That's a proper statement, right? Should we correct one another? Of course we should, but how should we do it? Not in a self-righteous way. So sometimes when I approach my children, I was once young and foolish like you. <laughs> Not forgetting who I was before and being patient in the areas that they need patience, yet not failing to correct them. The problem is the lack of self-awareness. We're aware of others, but not aware of ourselves. We're aware of the issues of others, how they lack this, he lacks this, she lacks this, but not looking at my part. Well, whatever it is, especially if it's self-righteousness, let's get rid of it. And sometimes it will be a lifetime of battling it. It keeps us humble, by the way. But if you lose your temper, don't forget to ask forgiveness. But if somebody corrects you in anger, don't forget the lesson that they were telling you. You don't focus, eh, galitsha, and then focus on how offended you were. <laughs> Don't forget your lesson. Don't lose the self-awareness. How can you remove what entangles you if you don't even try to look at it? And when others correct you, you just think they're judging you. None of us, no one's perfect here. Can we agree on that? Right? So when you see the imperfections of others, but you see them committing to Christ, learning, trying to learn. Remember that you yourselves are like that. There are areas that you have not perfected and you continue to learn and you need the patience of others. But if they correct you lovingly, listen. Well, if they correct you in anger, still listen. 
because it can help you. By faith, we could overcome it if we run the race with endurance so that what we may win the prize. Well, in effect, we have already won in Christ. He won it for us, yet he still wants us to run the race. It's like uh, God telling the people of Israel, uh, fight, I have given you the victory. Take note, God has given the victory, but they still needed to fight. Okay, he has given us the victory, but on earth we manifest this victory until death. Either we suffer or do mighty exploits or both. Until we see our place, until we receive our place in the heavenly city. And lastly, focus on Christ and run the race. Our eyes must be fixed upon Jesus, our Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. Christ looked to the joy awaiting him than the suffering and the shame. Now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, so we should what? Lay aside the sin that easily entangles through faith, and we may endure the race. Now Christ began faith in us, and he will complete it. I would say in my heart, praise the Lord. It is he who will complete it, not me. Of course, I will obey, but it's his work, not my work. What should we do while he works in us? He will work in us, but what should we do? Keep our eyes focused on him while we run the race with endurance. Take note, Christ forgave those who nailed him on the cross. He forgave, right? Did any one of you suffer like Christ? But he forgave. Whatever suffering you think you're going through, forgive. Forgive. What did Christ say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, some would say, after marrying the wrong person, they think is the wrong person, they say, Lord, forgive me. I know not what I did. It's too late. Fulfill it now. Grow together. Mature together in the faith. If not, endure. Take note, fixing our eyes on Jesus, okay? It did not say on the Old Testament saints. I don't know. They, they described the Old Testament, who they were. They were amazing, but we do not fix our eyes on them. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Moses. Not David, not Barak, not Simeon. Not Daniel. Not Mary, not Paul, not Peter. Not John. Who? Christ. Oh, especially not me. Okay? Not him and him and him or her and her. Do we respect them? Yes. We respect one another? Of course. But our eyes must be fixed on him alone. Somebody once said that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a dash. It's not a hundred meter dash. It's more like a marathon. Because it's a lifetime until we live. Well, you could argue that for, uh, for Stephen or Stephen, 
it was a sprint, I might agree with you, but most of us, it's really a marathon. Endure. So whenever you feel like praying, Lord, take me home. Uh, at the end, always say, but thy will be done, okay? Okay, uh, you see, when you say, take me home, and you did not specify how, uh, that's not good, all right? <laughs> Don't pray that. What should you pray? Let thy will be done. I would understand if you're suffering through the torture that the early church experienced and the medieval church experienced, the genuine church experienced, I would understand you say, Lord, take me home. But if your boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with you and say, Lord, take me home, come on. All right? Come on. It's a marathon. We should run the race with endurance. It's a lifetime. But you know what I like about this? The marathon is a team effort. And, and we have those games like that, that a team will run together. And they, they could be running side by side with each other to finish the race. And that's the beauty of the community. We run together, we'll finish the race together. But don't forget fixing our eyes on Jesus. What do you do as well when you do that? lay aside every sin, every weight that easily entangles us. I share to you eyes on Christ. Indeed, many live the faith life, be it comfort or in strife. A cloud of witnesses attest, endurance grows with the faith test. Their names inspire much faith in us, names who trusted in what God does. But some shall remain yet unnamed. By faith they suffered unashamed. Their lives invoke a memory, tis faith in God continuously. They long for their future reward, faith in the heart always on guard. Yet they know the incompleteness. Perhaps they had the awareness of the chosen generations that Christ redeemed from all nations. Run the race with perseverance and avoid losing your balance. Lay aside sin that entangles, free excess weight in all angles. Fix our eyes on Jesus alone. He is rock, not merely a stone. From start to end, the Christ the reason run the race in every season. What Christ started, he will complete. Our faith mature and not deplete. He is author and finisher, redeemer, master, and savior. And as all rise. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Teach us to run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Christ alone, the author and perfecter, the one who will perfect the faith he gave us. He perfected it on the cross, yet as we live our lives on earth, as we manifested, he continues to work in us, to mature us in the faith. 
guide us. Allow us great self-awareness that we may set aside every sin that weighs us down, things that easily entangle, whether it is unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy, envy, hatred, anger, whatever sin there, lust, the pride of life, self-righteousness. Teach us to lay it aside, lay it aside, that we may run the race with no heaviness in us, that we may run focused on Him alone and none other. Allow us to grow as a community as we run the race together, looking at Christ alone. So Lord, be glorified in this church community. We pride ourselves of nothing, not our name, not our names, not people, but Christ alone. The word alone, for your glory alone. And may we proclaim to the world as we proclaim and make disciples and tell people, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Sola gratia by grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. And soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Good morning. God bless you all.